Good morning. This is Jean Abshire with the International Power Hour. I am here with my colleague Cliff Staten and our intern Coco Wu. And we have with us as our guest this morning, uh, Ken Stammerman, who has um, been with us a number of times before. He's our go-to Middle East expert, having spent uh, most of his 30-year uh, career in the U.S. Foreign Service in the Middle East. Um, and he is with us here this morning to talk about Saudi Arabia. Welcome again to campus, Ken. Yes. Oh, Thank you very much. It's always good to be back. So Saudi Arabia has been very, very much in the news these days. Um, do you want to maybe just uh, start out by um, saying why Saudi Arabia is of such importance to uh, the U.S. and why Americans should be concerned about what's going on with Saudi Arabia? Right. Uh, Saudi Arabia has been a close ally uh, of the United States ever since, actually before World War II. Uh, the famous meeting in the uh, Red Sea, uh, President Roosevelt and uh, King Abdulaziz, uh, the, the father of the country. It's uh, the one country that a, a family's named after, and it's his family uh, that did it. So uh, since that time, they've been very close, to, the Saudis have worked very closely with us on military matters in the region. Uh, they've, of course, been a major oil supplier uh, but the ties go a lot, go even beyond that. Many, I mean hundreds, thousands of Saudi students have studied in the United States and, and brought a lot of our culture back, back there. Um, I know when I was in graduate school, we had several, several Saudis studying in my graduate classes with yeah. me. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and then uh, we also have thousands of Americans uh, who now work in Saudi Arabia and over the years have worked. Uh, Saudi Aramco, uh, Aramco originally, now Saudi Aramco, um, was the creation of Americans to begin with. And that's their big national oil company. That right? is the national oil company. Yeah. It's, it's been nationalized since about 1990. Uh, but nonetheless, there are still many, many Americans who live there. In fact, uh, it, would, it would be hard to keep Saudi Aramco operating without both the American employees and the American contractors who work yeah. out there. And obviously, as our president has reminded us, um, there are many defense contractors, uh, both in the United States and in Saudi, Saudi Arabia, uh, who bring in lots of money and lots of jobs to the United States. So there, there are any number, and, beside, and I have to add, of course, is that the Saudis have always been part of our regional alliance uh, in terms of our, our uh, for Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Uh, we had all those troops based in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we still rely on Saudi Arabia as a bulwark against uh, what we see as a danger by Iran uh, to our interest in the region. So. And that's a that's a major rivalry that I think we're going to want to talk more about um, sure. the Iran Saudi Arabia rivalry. That's one oh, of yes. the one of the big big dynamics exactly that exactly the words I would have used. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is a dynamic that that uh, so many uh, things going on in the countries around the region. And I, I mean, all the way from Morocco to uh, Pakistan, uh, you might say, uh, derived from that, that rivalry. Yes. I know that uh, years ago, and when, what year was it? 1993, I spent some time in the Gulf, and we met. We, we didn't hear from Saudi officials, but officials from the UAE. And at that time, Iran was, was the biggest threat. It didn't mm -hmm. matter. What else was going on in the world? Iran was the biggest threat, and that, that's a thread that runs through even today, of course, with, with oh. uh, I think, in terms of, maybe we can get into this later, in terms of President Trump trying to fashion this anti-Iranian coalition. Yeah. Well, and, and the war in Yemen, which we, yeah, we plan to talk we'll about. That's a, talk about that. a big feature. Um, so Saudi Arabia uh, has been in the news in the last few weeks um, because of this uh, situation that happened in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, yes. where a um, Saudi journalist who was um, living and working in the United States, um, uh, contributing com columnist for the Washington Post, uh, disappeared. So um, can you give us a little bit of, like, context for what's going on with Saudi Arabia that would have led to this disappearance? Because, I mean, this right. has been 
I mean, there have been, you know, yeah. a, a million different, okay, that's an overstatement, but a but number no, of different numbers. stories out of Saudi Arabia. And then we had the the odd body double videotape that came out. I mean, that's that's not normal. He was seen as a, as a, as a critic of the yeah. Saudi government. Yeah, so, so, yes. what's, what's, so been, what's going on with Saudi well, Arabia to lead us to this? Well, first of all, this, uh, the context is the uh, rise to power of Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, to begin with. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman is now the crown prince. Uh, when when the uh, King Salman came to power, he was the uh, deputy. He became defense minister and deputy crown prince. Uh, not long afterwards, uh, he became the crown prince and the power, uh, in, not just beyond, behind the throne, but the power in Saudi Arabia. His father is still king, but the, his father's been in ill health. So yeah. now... Uh, He's a modernizer. He, he sees as so many... So he's super... Let me just throw in here. He is super young. Yes. He's like 32 years old, yes, right? He's in, in his early 30s. Yeah. Which, which this is after a succession of rulers, the, the kings who were the sons of Abdulaziz, the man who had yes. been FDR. Passing through brothers rather Passing than brothers, like father to son. But, right. To, but, uh, to, under King Fahad, they made the ruling that uh, they did not have to go to the next brother. They could go down a generation if need be. So uh, he becomes the power, uh, and he's concerned, as many of us have been over the years, about modernization. Yeah. Uh, how to modernize the country, not have to rely completely on foreigners, uh, not only for your expertise in the, in the oil sector, perhaps, expertise in industry, but even th uh, menial work. A lot of the tradesmen come from yeah. abroad. So to bring Saudis into the workforce, how do you do that? Well. You can't keep half of the population out of the workforce, so you have to bring women into the workforce. That means they have to be able to drive. Uh, he, these steps all make sense in, in that context of modernization. Uh, but that doesn't mean the family can release hold on power. And he is obviously keen on making sure the family keeps a hold on power. So yes, you let women drive, but you put women, women's rights activists in jail. Uh, right. You, you, in the old system, they're part of modernization. You shouldn't have such widespread corruption. Okay, and you start arresting people you think are corrupt and taking the so money you, to the treasury. You go after the business people, some of the business people. And, yes. Uh, yeah, in case our listeners aren't aware, I, I can't remember how many people it was, but uh, uh, several, well, several hundred, hundred, several hundred. Um, people, some business people, but also other members of the royal family oh, yes. were arrested very, very suddenly, um, arrested and held in the Ritz-Carlton, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, I guess if you're going to be held, that's a nice place to be held. <laughs> I guess um, so. I, I, I sort yeah, of feel like maybe I should be arrested and held in the Ritz-Carlton. <laughs> Although, gee, I, I have to say there were reports that there was some torture. Yeah, actually, yeah, I shouldn't make light of it because I have I have heard that too. Um, the the Ritz Carlson's not going to save you from torture no. for sure. So, um, but but um, you know, I know some people were fined and and paid you know for that kind of thing. But but going after corruption is in many countries also an opportunity to get rid of rivals, whether they're corrupt or not. Um, so. Was there some of this going on? Because it's, hard, I mean. Well, it's hard to, the reports coming out of Saudi Arabia indicated that the rivals were more shunted aside. Uh, there's a long tradition of taking care of, of dealing with dissidents in Saudi Arabia in which it's sort of a soft uh, shunning aside. So if uh, young Ahmed, who'd been studying in the United States, came back to Saudi Arabia and started talking to his friends about representative government, well, his father would be talked to about, you know, that contract your, your company really relies mm. on. You should tell young Ahmed to uh, get married, join the company, and shut up. And that kind of thing worked. And there was a widespread secret police. Everybody knows, Mukhabarat. You just whisper that word and people kind of freeze. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, generally the dissidents, the, the people you're talking about within the family, more shun it aside. Uh, but but the, the, what was different with the, this latest, and this leads to what happened to, to Shoghi, I right. think, uh, is that the crackdown was tough. Uh, the, the crown prince is obviously thin-skinned. He doesn't want anything to stand between him and eventually the throne, I'm sure. And 
So there's been a, a, a silencing uh, rest, like the women's rights activists. You would not have seen this 10 years ago, five years ago, so many people being arrested. Mm -hmm. uh, now, yes, they did always, there's always been a harsh crackdown on Shia in the Eastern province. That's different. That's a different case of protecting their oil interest. Which These is, all, yeah. just to, in case listeners aren't aware, Shia are um, a branch of, of Islam. Um, yes. Saudi Arabia is dominated by the Sunnis, Sunnis, which is by far the largest portion of believers within Islam. But And Shia, going back to that Iran connection, is the... Uh, the, I guess, center of that is yes. in Iran, but there is Iran. a Shia minority in Saudi Arabia. Shia, who are Arabs, by the way, and this is important as well. The yes. Arab Shia, yeah. not Persian Shia. So there's a difference there, but... Yeah, listeners may not necessarily realize that all Muslims are not Arab. We often colloquially oh, right. people um, right, you're right. don't. Yeah, you hear that? I, yeah. You do. Yes. Um, yeah. So just so everybody knows, all Muslims <laughs> are not. Well, all Muslims aren't Arab. Uh, all everybody in the Middle East is not Arab, and Iranians are ethnically Persian by and yes. large. Um, and they speak Farsi, not Arabic. And they Arabic. speak Farsi, they speak not Farsi, Arabic. Arabic, exactly. Yes. So, uh, so, so we have an Arabic Shia minority that ethnically is, is uh, in line with, uh, with, the, with like the majority in Saudi Arabia, yes. but religiously is more in line with Iran. Right. Okay. And, and the crackdown, and, and people, Saudis have generally accepted, okay, Yes, there's been human rights abuses uh, against the Shia, but you know, for the most part, if people go along, they get along. Uh, that has been the case, but now things have gotten a bit more repressive, to say the least, uh, with crackdowns. And this is where the Khashoggi, Khashoggi uh, uh, affair comes in, because here you have a prominent Saudi, his family's very famous, his father was one it was, one of the richest people in the world. Well, uh, he, he worked for the government and was, was kind of in the inner circle as an yes, advisor, right? very yeah. much so. Yeah, and so did Jamal. Yeah, that, uh, I'm sorry, that's, yeah, that's oh, what I, I meant, his actually, father, sorry. His father his also. Father had, also. Connections, <laughs> had connections. So, so to have someone like this who has good sources in the ruling family, this is even more dangerous because mm -hmm. he was getting information out, you know, hey. And so the, the uh, ruling group, still back in Riyadh, Hey, they'd like to know who his sources are, <laughs> which would be very dangerous for them, of course. Uh, and they like hence the torture, probably, it's and not, not just killing him. Exactly. Seeking uh, to information. My, to my mind, what I mean, every, right? We've had so many stories about what happened. Yes. I, I don't know, but uh, they but seem to change daily. They seem to change, uh, but. Be, well, they seem to change on the Saudi side. The Turkish side hasn't changed so no, much. They've just correct. they've been holding that line, although they haven't presented the evidence that they claim to have. Right. They the Turkish side seems to be claiming that it was a planned assassination yes. from the beginning. Uh, my my take sounds it sounds more like what we used to call a rendition uh, back when the United States was doing some things on the. War on Terror, uh, that to kidnap him, uh, somehow uh, interrogate him at the consulate, because after all, the Turks might have interfered with any kidnapping on right. the way to the airport and so yeah. on. For our audience, rendition means we would uh, kidnap someone and take them to a country where we could um, interrogate using less than democratic means, let's put it that way, or... or yeah, torture not, in not a bringing sense. him to the U.S., not, bringing him to some if, third country. Right, some third country where this could be allowed. This yeah. would be overlooked, allowed. Uh, so, exactly which so. was, of course, actually what um, our current we, CIA head, Gina Haspel, yes. was implicated with, which caused um, some questions during some questions. her CIA com so uh, director we competition hearing. We did this quite a bit during the war on terror, yeah. during, especially during the Bush administration. Especially during yeah. the Bush administration. So, uh, so my my take would be that they. They wanted to question him, then either assassinate or kidnap. Uh, who knows at this point? Um, and, you know, it, it all went south very quickly. Uh, I, they should have realized that the Turks would be listening. I mean, I would think so. <laughs> I'm sure they listened Standard in. Standard practice, right? Standard, I'm sure they listened <laughs> in on the Turkish consulate in, in, in Riyadh. I mean, <laughs> So it's what you do. It's what you do. Uh, and, so, and so now that now the problem is, of course, finding some kind of plausible 
deniability scenario to protect the family, uh, especially to protect the crown prince. So, um, is it is it conceivable that the crown prince really did not know? What do you think? Uh, That's your opinion. I know that. Yeah, uh, my opinion that he always would just have some people very close to him that he could say, take care of this. Okay. Without I saying, wish this problem would go away. I wish this problem would go away. Yeah, who will rid me of this troublesome priest? I mean, it's... <laughs> going back to Shakespeare, isn't going it? Going back to... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so it's... My, my, my guess is that he would not be so blunt, uh, especially because... Because one also needn't be, right? One need, one need not be yes. to begin with. And uh, this allow Again, the plausible deniability is important because he, he, while he is crown prince, he is really not the absolute ruler, not yet. Because the, the, the king, if convinced by enough of the family members that this man has now become a liability to the kingdom, uh, there has been, a, in the past, there has been a coup, a royal coup in Saudi Arabia back in the, when King Saud was, was removed by his brother. Well, and the present king obviously has the power to designate his successor because he's yes. designated the current crown prince, exactly. M- MBS. <laughs> MBS, So he, I mean, he could. There's nothing to keep him from designating someone else, right? If that's he were true. To other than persuaded that, that, other than this has been his, <clears throat> excuse me, his favorite son. Yeah. Obviously, uh, and rumors of his health. Yeah. That's uh, the other question. Uh, the timing of this is tricky too, because there's a a big. Um, investors conference going on uh, right now in Saudi Arabia that yes. was considered very important to that modernizing of the economy that you mentioned and a lot of different uh, groups and organizations and governments uh, bowed out of that in view they of did. this whole business in Turkey. Indeed, and, and this is something that uh, the, the, the Saudis have been very anxious uh, to at least have some vis- visible uh, attendees. Um, even though our Secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin, uh, said he was not, at one point, not going to the conference, he did visit Riyadh and was immediately ushered into a very visible photo, photo op. op. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah. so I, I think they are, uh, if the conference doesn't go off that well, they at least want to salvage uh, some uh, photo ops, some opportunities to yeah. show that the ties, the financial ties, uh, with the United States re- remain strong. Uh, and after all, it's, still, it's a rich country. <laughs> you right. know, I'm sure investors, uh, once this blows over, uh, will still we'll want to, back. will come back. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I'm looking at the time, and I think it is about time for our first break. So we'll go ahead and take that now, and the International Power Hour will be right back. Welcome back to the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire with my co-host Cliff Staten, our intern Coco Wu, and our guest, Mr. Ken Stammerman, who is um, filling us in on all the intricate nuances of the situation in Saudi Arabia with um, their modernizing prince, uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is also... um, had his name uh, associated trying to figure out um, if if he was really involved with uh, the disappearance of uh, journalist uh, Jamal Khashoggi in uh, in Turkey recently um, but this uh, you know international event with uh, the Khashoggi disappearance that's not the first um, weird no, I'm gonna call no. it weird weird thing foreign policy wise in November um, of last year there was a so-called I don't know what you call it, kidnapping, detention of Prime Minister Saad Hariri of Lebanon. Of Lebanon. And that was a really strange event. That Would you a, like to comment that, on that, Ken? That was a strange event. Uh, the, the, the Saudis have been trying to preserve their position both in Syria and Lebanon without a whole lot of success. They poured a lot of money into it, at least. And um, I, I have to say that the Hariri event... Um, Maybe to make sure okay. the listeners know what happened, because I'm sure most people okay. are. Okay, Hariri, Hariri was prime minister and uh, he, prime he minister tur- of, Lebanon. of Lebanon. Turns up in Riyadh, uh, resigns on yeah, camera. just like appears. Appears. And yeah. when he got off the plane, if I remember correctly, like they were. They had um, a sense almost 
People there to quote-unquote escort. Escorted. But, he was escorted. You know, yes, and but was very given a escorted. to read on Saudi television yeah, exactly. that he was resigning as prime minister Out of, of Lebanon. Out of nowhere. Yes. And, um, yes. and then apparently after that, went on these, went with, his, with his camping trip with, with one of the... With well, nobody heard from him for like two weeks. He sort he of disappeared. Like, he disappeared yeah. for a while. But even within that, he, he went on a camping trip a in the way. desert. I mean, it was really a strange episode. Well, then, then he goes took back like to Lebanon. Well, he took a little trip somewhere, so he was like out in public. But it was uh, somewhere where like the Saudis would have influence and... Right. Yeah, but, I mean, it was just... There was a whole lot of weird. But then he goes back to Lebanon and reclaims the prime, prime ministership. ministership after... Being given shelter in France for yes. a short time, for a short, too. Yes. Short yes. time. Like, just bizarre. Yes. It was really bizarre. Right. Yes. So, it is bizarre. Yeah, well, what my, was the deal there? Well, my, <laughs> what was the deal? My, my, I mean, my take was that, that you know, the, the, the Saudis were pursuing their policy, which is uh, trying to balance against the Syrians, uh, especially in, in, uh, in Beirut, uh, where they have a lot of interests. They have yeah. a lot of financial interests. Remember, uh, Hariri's father. Uh, Rafiq had, was assassinated. And he was a dual citizen, Lebanese, right. and made a ton of money uh, in, in Saudi Arabia, very close to the family. Yes. So, well, and Saad Hariri has, I mean, also dual citizenship, right? He grew up in Saudi yeah. Arabia, right? Yes. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yes. But apparently, he, my take is that he was not uh, doing, uh, following the Saudi line as closely as they would have approved. He had formed a coalition government with Hezbollah. Sure. Uh, and basically, he argued out of practical politics. Indeed, if I want because things to work in Lebanon, I've got to work there, with there had uh, not with, been with a Hezbollah. There had not been a government in Lebanon for a very long time before that. And of course, Hezbollah uh, is supported oh, by they are Shia. They Iran. are supported by Iran. <laughs> there we are, back to Shia and Iran there again. We back to that again. Yes. But so, so my my take on the whole thing. It, it, and it was clumsy, is what it was. Mm. Uh, there's a rule, in the, you know, the Friedman rule about playing the game in the Middle East. If you can't play by Hama rules, don't play. And that means there are no rules. But this was clumsy. Uh, so, you know, the saying, uh, the Napoleonic say, saying was, you know, not only was it morally wrong to do, it was a mistake. And yeah. that's even worse for to show up so, as being so clumsy. Because they had to let him go eventually. And he went back yeah. into a coalition government, which is all that's possible in, in Lebanon right, right now. Right, right. Yeah, and then, then they moved on, and then the gutter experience. Uh, again, the, the Saudis uh, apparently thought gutter was being too chummy with Iran. Which is a, a neighboring, a small the, oh, neighboring country. Small neighboring country with which the United States has very close military ties. Our fifth fleet is... Military base. A military, yeah. We have an air base there. Air base, yes. Yeah. And was, yeah, sorry. In Bahrain, yes. that's okay. Bahrain Ooh, is yeah. the weather. Bahrain is, is very correct. close sorry. to the Saudis. Bahrain yes. and Gunner don't get along either. Yeah. That's a different issue. But we have a massive air base there. And so uh, we have close ties. The Turks actually have close ties, which is another issue, uh, with the Gutteries. And so uh, MBS thought that and apparently he was threatening to invade the place. And only the Americans yeah. intervened and said, don't do that, <laughs> or please don't do that, because we've got a base there. Uh, and we'd really have a problem if, uh, if the Saudis invaded Gutter. Uh, that puts us between two of our very close allies. So what was his, what was, uh, why would they do something like that? Because the, the, there's something called the Gulf Cooperation Council, right? This is yeah, the Saudis GCC. and the others. Uh, the Saudis have always thought it was the Saudi leadership and the others should fall in line. Uh, the others don't always think that way. Uh, and the Gutteries were being very independent, acting especially on their ties with Iran. So that again gets, even though they, they are, uh, in fact, Gutter is the only other, well, there's a, a variant of Islam called Wahhabi Islam, very strict, very... Gutter is the only other country in the region, or the only other country in the world that practices officially that form of Islam. So, and Gutter is the home of Al Jazeera, correct? It is home of Al Jazeera, which ruffles some feathers from yes. time to time, yes. to say the least. Uh, but the, I think the concern was more the, an opening to Iran. That, that made them very nervous. Iran again. And, so um, they, they, and, and really, the, apparently, they were ready to invade the country when the Americans said, you know, 
it's not a good idea. But they did actually put in place a blockade. Yes. The limit, do you want to? Well, there is a blockade. Still, yeah. Yeah, Gutter is a peninsula jutting out from the Arabians, from Saudi Arabia. Um, and, you know, they, and they also have a rivalry with the UAE, which is close to the Saudis. It's, it's somewhat, there's a lot of issues involved. Yeah. Um, but they, they did put in a blockade, but which has been pretty ineffective, actually. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have air traffic very easily goes around, uh, right. ship traffic. They have not put a naval blockade as they have with Yemen, for example. So. But it, but that cannot. But from what I've, from what I've read, that this blockade is a, a ineffective, um, but also seen as another actual political misstep oh, of yeah. Mohammed bin Salman. Yes. It, it, it was all these things were supposed to happen very quickly and solve the problem, but they haven't. Those were the two first. It's really just created new problems or additional just problems. Just created new problems, exactly, yeah. yes. So uh, Ben Salman's position, could that be undermined by these, by uh, these, uh, these first, missteps? Again, these missteps made people kind of wondering, you know, they, they appreciate what he's doing internally, but on the external side, you know, these were two fairly small things, really, in the great scheme of things. Uh, but the, the, the Khashoggi affair uh, has... It obviously has upset a lot of major players in Washington. Yeah. And, you know, that tie has been the centerpiece of Saudi politics, Saudi foreign affairs, uh, again, since Roosevelt's days. And to endanger that tie is, is that's scary for many Saudis, for many powerful Saudis. Yeah. So, uh, you know, these can be understood. Americans don't really know what's going on in Lebanon anyway and, right. and gutter. Yeah. Like, don't, not quite sure about that. Uh, but yeah, this has yeah. gotten a lot of attention. This one, the two things that are, that are really causing issues, one is, is this affair uh, and the other is Yemen, of course. Right, but, which uh, is also um, something we wanted to talk about we'll this talk morning. About, we'll talk about it. We're around to. But yeah. yeah, but I think this, this affair, though, is because it endangers or it, it seems to endanger the... The Khashoggi uh, affair, just to be clear. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The Khashoggi affair. seems to endanger the ties with Washington. And if you remember, the first place that President Trump went to was Saudi Arabia. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, he really, much of his foreign policy in the Middle East is, ba is based upon making those strong ties with Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the, the, hope, the hope is that the Saudis could be more of a regional player in a constructive manner. Uh, for example, if they could bring the Palestinians along some way. Uh, into uh, uh, the grand plan that has always been, you know, what the Americans want in the Middle East. What we've tried to for decades is to get a, a peace agreement between the uh, Israelis and their neighbors. If you could pull the Saudis into this, that would be great. I mean, the, the dream of yeah. uh, foreign policy. Well, solving yeah. the Palestinian problem. I mean, Trump has exactly. aspirations for that. And, and my understanding is that um, the Trump administration was hoping or is hoping that the Saudis could be useful in pressuring the Palestinians to accept, you know, some kind of probably not fabulous offer. Correct. And it's been pretty obvious also in the recent years, and especially under the Trump administration, the uh, cooperation between the Israelis and the Saudis yes. is becoming more obvious, yes. more, more overt. You know, in conferences, people talk to each other openly. Yeah. Again, trying to create this, this anti-Iranian coalition exactly. with strange bedfellows, strange Israel and Saudi. Right. Okay. You have, have anti-Iran coalition, but you also may have a way of bringing in the, the Palestinian issue, uh, which involves other people, including the gutteries. Yeah. <laughs> That's a different question. That's a, there's also, a lot of issues going yes, on. Yes, right quite there. a few in terms of in southern Lebanon, you know, with the, some of the Palestinian refugee camps there. There was some fear that there would be a move to encourage Sunni Palestinians to uh, make waves against Hezbollah and, and the Shia, so yes. to speak, here. Yes, so, so that, that's part of what the Saudi game in Lebanon uh, is involved in. Of course, the Israelis are major, big concern now is Hezbollah. Uh, with the uh, Syrian civil war winding down, uh, that will release more of the Hezbollah fighters to move to the, the Israeli border. Um, and again, funded by Saudis, the Saudi nemesis, funded and armed and trained by the Saudi nemesis, Iran. So the Iran-Saudi, um, you know, 
rivalry dynamics, <laughs> if we want to go back to that. Could you say a little bit more about that? Because I'm, I'm guessing most of our listeners probably don't have a, a I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but, um, and it, Iran keeps coming up. So what is the, what is the, the root of that issue and uh, why is it? Iran and the Iran-Saudi in the kingdom. Okay. Thing, yeah. Well, the, again, the, the, the split between Sunni and Shia go back, goes back to the dawn of Islam. The, the Shia would, Shia, the adherents of Shia Islam uh, would say that the leader of the community, the leader of the Muslim community, should come from the descendants of Ali, the, the Imam Ali. Uh, the Sunni, by far, as you mentioned, the majority, say no, the, the uh, leader of the Muslim community is uh, selected by consensus among the members of the community. So. Uh, in, for over the centuries, there's been this conflict that goes gone on and on uh, between Shia and Sunni. Uh, they are, they all proclaim they they each would say they are following the tenets of the Holy Quran, but uh, each of them would say the other is, is heretics, much as the Catholic Protestant split, split in the Middle yes. Ages. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's about it's it's about that bitter too, yes. and yeah. so uh, it, the. the there are various forms of Shia Islam. I mean, there's the, the major one in Iran, uh, and they say the Ayatollahs speak in the name of the hidden, hidden Imam, the one who will come back eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in the, among the Sunni, it's, it's, they don't have quite the hierarchy that you would have there. There's a lot of nuances there. There are also uh, splits among the various Sunni or Shia, especially the Shia, so that the rulers in Syria belong to a subgroup of Shia Islam. The Houthis in Yemen belong to a subgroup, the Zaidis. Uh, and so, yeah, so, and, and this dynamic really uh, has, has always been there. It's something we've overlooked over the, over the years. We used to think, well, the Shah is pro-Western and the Saudi monarchy is pro-Western. Therefore, they should be friends. Everything's and they never didn't quite yeah. work out that way. And when the Ayatollahs came to power preaching Shia Islam, the, the supremacy of, yeah. of the uh, Ayatollahs and of preaching the, the uh, true faith, uh, that really alarmed them. Yeah. So. Also, I'm not, I'm not a Middle Eastern historian, but hasn't there been long thread running through Persian history of being able to dominate the area? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so. that Persian... So that Persian fear plays Empire. into it as plays well, into obviously. It, yeah. it goes back to Cyrus the Great. I right. Mean, yeah. is... So what, what um, has its roots in, you know, a religious difference manifests significantly, obviously, with, with the political dynamics that we see in the, you know, yeah, not just in Saudi Arabia, but, and not just between Saudi Arabia and Iran, but broadly within the region today. Broadly. And Saudi Arabia, again, is seen as uh, the... Uh, not the pawn, but the, the way the Americans have moved into the Gulf is via Saudi Arabia. And the Iranians have a long history with the Americans, uh, none of it good. Uh, and so uh, they, that's another part of the dynamic is that the Saudis are seen as being too close to the United States. The United States had interfered in Iranian politics since... Uh, a long time. A long time. Mm -hmm. Since the... Uh, well, since independence almost, since, since, since the British, the whole Anglo-American oil thing, Anglo-British, Anglo-Iranian yeah. oil thing. So. I've also seen some analysis um, suggesting that the way uh, Turkey's President Erdogan is uh, handling this uh, Khashoggi affair, for lack of a better phrase, um, is also very much tied to regional power dynamics. Uh, 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 True, and plus uh, even there's immediate power dynamics because the, the Turks have an interest in, an irredentist interest really in northern Syria, right. which the, the Saudis- Territorial. Uh, territorial, yeah. ever since World War I. Mm -hmm. uh, but even before, the, the whole Ottoman Empire. The, the, right. Now that yeah. there's some people are saying since Turkey is very clearly never going to get into Europe, yeah. uh, given European sensitivities. Right. Uh, that they should look more to the region again. Uh, the whole, when Ataturk, the founder of modern Turkey, I mean, they were glad to be rid of much of the, the Arab empire they had, because uh, Turks are not Arabs. That's another 
thing to keep in mind. Right. Uh, Got another one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Turks are not Arabs. Uh, and so they were, uh, but he's looking to be a regional power again. Instead of facing Europe, uh, look back towards uh, the Middle East where they had been dominant for centuries yeah. under, under the Ottomans. So there's that, that angle. So uh, a, a, Erdogan in Turkey who wants to, you know, assert power and Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia who's trying to maintain Saudi influence, establish his own power within, within that, like that's also another power clash. Another part, and they're all, also, keep in mind that Erdogan, uh, first modern Turkish ruler to um, make, w make overtures to the Islamicist right. element. Within, kind of religious yes, populism. Religious populism within Turkey, yeah. uh, where Saudi Arabia sees itself as the leader of the Sunni Muslim world. Yeah. So to have Erdogan sort of looking to be a leader, a Sunni leader, I mean, yeah. granted the Persians will always be a, a, an issue, yeah. but Turkey had been friendly. Uh, now, some and other monarchies usually aren't too much into popular popular power too. Like <laughs> not, that's not so. Not so much. Not so much. Not right. So much, right. right. Um, looking at the clock, it looks like we're due for another. Time is going so fast. It is. Um, <laughs> looks like we're due for another break. So the International Power Hour will be right back. Welcome back to the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire here with my co-host Cliff Staten, our intern Coco Wu, who is not let us hear her voice yet this morning, so we need to have Coco Hi, ask a I'm question. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and then our our Middle East expert Ken Stammerman is our is our guest this morning. We've been talking about Saudi Arabia. Um, the the other big uh, political um, mess. <laughs> I'm I'm going to go ahead and, and and go there. Uh, for Saudi Arabia is is their war in Yemen. Yes. And this was started by Bin Salman. Uh, yes. Is that uh -huh. correct? Um, yes. Exactly. For one of the first things he did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we have to... Okay, where does the, the origin of, of the Saudi involvement... It has to go back a little bit. I won't go all the way back to the mad imam, but uh, <laughs> back a little bit uh, to... Although uh, we wish you could. Yeah, someday. <laughs> we talk about the, the mad imam. That was always a, a great story. Um, the, that's what got the Saudis involved in Yemen in the first place, actually. Uh, way back when. No, back during the Arab Spring. Uh, the Arab Spring. 2011. 2011. We all know how the Arab Spring begins. Tunisia uh, spreads through uh, Egypt, the, the great Tahrir Square, and so on. So, so it spreads to Yemen. And there's protests against, I mean, like a lot of young people protesting right. against they, corruption and wanting rights. And yeah. they, they're specifically protesting against a man named Ali Abdullah Saleh. Uh, who had been the dictator of the country, of the northern part of the country since 1976, uh, when he took over after an assassination of his predecessor. Uh, and then after the unific reunification of the country, the South Yemen had been uh, one of the few communist countries in the region, uh, formerly the, the British Aden Protectorate, uh, but had been independent. 1990, uh, the countries were reunified under the leadership of Ali Abdullah Saleh. So he then was not only a dictator, corrupt, one of the uh, rumored to be one of the major uh, kleptocrats in the world, mm. billions of dollars salted away uh, in a terribly poor country. Yeah. But he'd been siphoning off of, by, by reputation. So in 2011, you have a, 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 re a revolution. Young people in the streets, a uh, lot much as we saw in, in Cairo, uh, CNN is there. You got some well-educated young people leading all this. And uh, he is eventually, after much toing and froing and promising to leave power, much toing and froing, uh, uh, turns the country over to his vice president. How this much of a change was that really? Because when it goes to a, you know, the number two person, well, that. I mean, from where I was sitting, I was like, hmm, was that really political no, change? But the idea was to rewrite the Constitution. Rewrite, yeah. rewrite the Constitution, but also Mansur Hadi, he was uh, close to the Saudis as well. Uh, and with Ali Abdullah Saleh, you really never knew what the politics were. I mean, he, at one point during the first Gulf War, he was on Saddam's side, uh, which led to many Yemeni workers being kicked out of Saudi Arabia. Hmm. Uh, 
but then after the, the coal bomb, when our, one of our ships was bombed in a Yemeni port, uh, he came yeah. very close to the United States during the war on terror. I mean, I think he saw which way the wind was blowing yeah. in the Middle East. Uh, so uh, he left the country after given, turning, finally turning over power to Mansur Hadi, uh, he left the country. And it looked like they'd be writing a constitution, you know, cutting at least some of the corruption out. Uh, but then he came back. Uh, and uh, along, uh, I have to say that he, he had been injured during the, the, rebel the revolution. Somebody tried to assassinate him. Uh, it came pretty close. And he'd gone both to Saudi Arabia and to the United States for, for uh, medical care. But he, he came back. It was pretty clear he, was, he wanted to be a power player again. Hmm. So uh, the chance came that the Houthis, who'd long been suppressed by, actually by Ali Abdullah Saleh. Uh, and who and, are the Houthis? Okay, who are the Houthis? Briefly. Houth <laughs> <laughs> they are it's a, a tribe. Shia sect. Yeah. They are tribe. a tribe. Yes. They're a tribe who are Shia, a Shia sect. They're Zaydis, which is a different form of Shia Islam, but they are Shia. And were historically repressed. Or yes. 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 And because uh, they're Shia, we have the Iran angle in there. We have again. the Iran angle. <laughs> The claim, the claim is that the Iranians have been fomenting insurrection, uh, supplying weapons, uh, helping the uh, Houthi rebels in their, stri their struggle, which has been going on a long, long time, actually. But yeah. what happens is that Saleh's people, he still had a militia, even though there's a Yemeni government with a, an army, theoretically. He had his own militia, and so he threw his militia on the side of the Houthi rebels uh, and helped them take over Sana'a, the capital of the country. Uh, the vice, the president then, the, who had been the vice president, Hadi, uh, was under house arrest, but he escaped, uh, made his way to South Yemen, uh, tried to form a government there, uh, and as the Houthi rebels advanced, he fled to Saudi Arabia, at which point M MBS <laughs> did get involved. Um, and the UN recognizes him as the legitimate government. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Always did because, uh, again, he, you know, he was overthrown by this combination of Saleh's militia, who are in theory they're Sunni and secular, in theory, at least, mm -hmm. and the, and the Houthis had this uneasy alliance, but they were both uh, together in wanting to get rid of Hadi. Right. So they stayed in that. That uneasy alliance lasted for a while. Uh, MBS got, got the Saudis involved. They started trying to support Hadi. Uh, keeping in mind, there are two other major players in Yemen that we haven't spoken about. Uh, one of them is uh, ISIS, is mm -hmm. a unit there, and Al-Qaeda. Yeah, there are cells, Al-Qaeda cells and ISIS cells yes. as well. Yes. Yes, they're, they're out there. Okay, so we, uh, and the Saudis, of course, are nervous about them. So yeah. the Saudis uh, got involved trying to support Hadi very quickly. Uh, uh, meanwhile, ba meanwhile, back in Sana'a, uh, when the war after the war starts gets underway, they're seeing which way uh, the Americans are helping the Saudis because we're supplying them munitions and with uh, logistics, uh, uh, working with their command centers and so on. Uh, Saleh decided to switch sides again. Uh, one time too many because he did that while, the, while in Sana'a, so the, uh, the al-Houthi sent an assassination team who succeeded uh, in, in killing him. Uh, so since then, the, the war drags on. Uh, we see that the, uh, the United Nations is recognizing this as probably the major humanitarian crisis. Uh, 13 million people in danger of starvation. Yeah, and uh, I cholera heard, outbreak, yeah, famine, really, really um, bad. Ac lack of access to medical supplies. And somebody, uh, some analyst I heard on um, National Public Radio the other day, uh, actually maybe it wasn't an analyst, maybe it was somebody from the UN. I'm trying to remember, made a very pointed um, differentiation between people at risk of starvation and people. Um, being forced to starve and that's ah. that I, I thought that was a, a meaningful difference because that's essentially forced starvation is is what this is it's this is not on. like 
oh, there's, you know, a crop failure or something. Like, the dynamics of this political situation are leading, uh, you know, are, are causing people to not be able to eat. It's the dynamics of the political mm -hmm. situation. It's, it's, it's the blockade. Yes. And the Saudis, and it's, it's a coalition. It's not only the Saudis, by the way. Right, yeah. But the UAE, UAE. Mm -hmm. uh, even Egypt is helping. Uh, various other countries in the region yes. are, are helping. They're um, blocking food entry, blocking medication entry. But they're also blocking weapons. And weapons, okay. yes, yes. And this is, the contention is that without the blockade, uh, the Iranians would be uh, supplying the rebels, would be able to supply the rebels much more efficiently than, than they do. Um, again, the, the, the Saudis see Iran uh, as a threat, uh, you know, an existential threat to the kingdom. So, uh, yeah, obviously... The result is uh, not only are they blocking weapons, but they're blocking, uh, uh, blocking food, uh, yeah. blocking aid shipments, all of the above. But there is there's one port that's open for some humanitarian efforts, but yes. the question is once you get it there, how does it get to the people that really need it in this type of uh, exactly. uh, civil war, the civil war that's it's basically going, going on. It's going on because there's one, uh, one port is open, but another the data, port, yeah, and it's surrounded mm -hmm. by, you know, combatants, and the yes. the front line is like right there right at there. the edge of Hadeda, right, right yeah. there, and and there are other ports, possible ports where the fishing fleets have been forced to stay out of the out of out of the fishing areas because they're worried again about smuggling. Yeah. They say we don't want to see any boats. Out there. Well, and the waters yeah. are mined. Yeah. From whatever. That too. Yeah. So in essence, you have a humanitarian disaster along yeah. with this 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 civil war that's going on. Exactly. Now, interesting. Really one of the people that MBS has dismissed during this Kasoji affair uh, has been the public face of the Yemen war. Uh, one of his military aides, in addition to the uh, sort of the the information slash intelligence guy who was fired, a military man was also uh, fired, and he had been often the, the spokesman on TV about mm -hmm. the Yemen war. So what is, um, you know, what do the, what do the regular Saudi people think of this? I mean, this was supposed to be not a long, drawn-out war, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what do people think, and, and how, how, again, does this affect the perceptions and power of Mohammed bin Salman? Well, my... My take on it is that the real issue is not what the people think, well, yes. but, but what the ruling family. Right, because that's where the power is. That's where the yeah. power is. And there is a, they're just uh, bleeding money, Yeah. you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, they can afford it so far, but still, uh, this is money that could be much better used on this whole modernization effort. Uh, the problem right now is how do you get out of the Yemen mess? Right without rewarding the Iranians. Now, if, if he were just to pull out and, and, and the pullout be seen as a victory for Iran, that would really endanger his position, uh, MBS position, uh, within Saudi Arabia. And the Saudis have also been criticized for attacking uh, what some have argued purposely civilian. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Civilian casualties. Absolutely. Uh, I, so think, I think the Saudi, Saudis in general, I mean, I can't. <laughs> okay, I, I think the ruling family are, are not as concerned about that as many of us would be. Mm -hmm. uh, they're more concerned the expense, right. uh, the, the and the problem they've spent all this money over the the decades on armaments and on training people, and they cannot beat, cannot defeat Houthis who are like you know these are people, uh, you know, packed in the back of a Toyota pickup. Uh, now, granted, they have some more advanced weapons. They've managed to f fire a few uh, scuds at Riyadh, which makes people very yes. nervous. <laughs> uh, I mean, one made it to the airport. Yes. Uh, and ducking. Last year. Yeah, that, that's obviously not good. But right. For the, but I, I don't see any any real opposition within the, uh, the Saudi people. Okay. Uh, you're not going to see a Yemeni-style revolution with people no. in the streets. Uh, in the past, the, the Kingdom has been able to buy off dissents, as I mentioned earlier, uh, they, without much repression. There's more repression now than I've ever seen in Saudi Arabia in terms of arrests, of, of people disappearing. Uh, that's, that was not the style of, of previous uh, uh, rulers. 
and now there's always, again, this Muhabharat, the secret police, they're there in the background, but usually it's a much softer touch. Now this, this whole affair in Istanbul, um, so I, th I think the, the mess in Yemen is not a, a threat to the rule of the Asaud. Uh, MBS, it's a different question. Yeah. Now, should it continue to be a drain on the economy and yeah. no resolution seen and, uh, uh, again, Iranian influence? Iranian uh, influence. Uh, this could go on and, and uh, yeah, I, mean, are uh, there I suppose there are people within the family could turn against. Oh, there are people in the family who I'm sure are very <laughs> much, I mean, they got pushed out. They're, yeah. they're certain of like the Bin Nayef, certain elements of the family who would have expected to be next in line were shunted aside. Right. So, uh, and shunted out of the halls of power, not only shunted aside from the succession, but also they no longer have influence they once had. So, uh, yeah, there's opposition out there. So. Yeah, and, and it seems like with Yemen and the Qatar affair and, or the Qatar blockade and the bizarre Saad uh, Hariri of Lebanon, and now the Khashoggi affair. Like that's a that's a lot. That's a lot of a lot. missteps. It's a lot of missteps. You know, and the other hand, the supporters. Big, some of them big. Like yeah. But on, the, on the other hand, domestically, the people who've given great thought about it, they need to modernize. Yeah. And he's taking these steps again. Women bring brought into the workforce, uh, being able to drive. Uh, along with diversification of the economy, diversification. the move away from oil, an oil-based yeah. economy. New town. Yeah. Think of having uh, tourist resorts in the, yeah. the Red Sea to attract foreigners. Yeah. Uh, this is big change. Is he the only one who could do that? Can they look around and think, oh, well, there's somebody else who could, you know, deliver the same sort of program without... Well, He's You've got to, the king has to be the one to make that decision. Right. And, and again, is, he's unwell. He's not, yeah, and he's not going to choose another, somebody from another part of the family, that's for right. sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is a, in, interesting to watch. So, um, yes. so, like, you know, kind of one big takeaway, something to, we've got about a minute left, something to watch for in Saudi Arabia in the, like. Well, a lot of things. We always have to watch, watch the price of oil. That's important. Mm, yes. Okay. Yes. You Saudi Arabia is a petro state. It's a petro state. Yeah. And then without all that money coming in, you're not going to be able to modern, not build that new, the new city. You can't pay new, off all those dissidents. Can't pay off all the dissidents, the, the very sort of soft dissidents right. that's going on. You can't pay them off. Uh, you can't keep spreading the money around Washington, yeah. of course. You need all that money. So uh, that's a, uh, oil is a big deal. Watch the price of oil. All right. Say, yeah. Thank you so much, Ken, for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Ken. Yeah. This has been my pleasure. Fascinating as always. <laughs> um, thank you also to our listeners for uh, joining us on the International Power Hour. Uh, we will be looking at um, an international news forum uh, next week. There's a lot of things that have gone on, some of which we've talked about today, but obviously uh, many others. And so we will we will be examining those. You can follow us on Facebook and keep up with all the updates, and also get any past episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or our website for streaming. Thank you for joining us on the International Power Hour.